We are geek-centric, and you can be too. What's up, geeks, and welcome back to another episode of the Geek Centric Podcast. My name is Justin, and today we're doing things a little bit differently. For today's episode, there won't be any whatcha, no news, no trailer, but all topic. Today's episode is part one of a two-part series where we're taking an in-depth look at the work of Christopher Nolan. But first, if you're joining us for the first time, this is a weekly podcast covering the world of film, television, gaming, toys, collectibles, and all things geek-centric. Joining me as always, we have Nate Shelton and Kevin Hudson, and I think we skip the pleasantries and get right into it. So for today's topic of the show, we thought we would continue with our director special by taking an in-depth look at the films of Christopher Nolan. Recently, it was announced that Tenet, Nolan's 11th film, and probably one of the most anticipated films of 2020, is finally hitting theaters here in Canada as of August 27th after being delayed by the ongoing events of COVID-19. Needless to say, this has got us excited, and we thought it would be a perfect time to take a look at his filmography from the last 22 years. Now, to give you guys a little bit more background information, Christopher Edward Nolan, born July 30th, 1970, and apparently he recently celebrated his 50th birthday, was raised in London and developed an interest in filmmaking at a young age. After studying English literature in university, he made his feature debut with Following in 1998. Nolan gained international recognition with his second film, Memento, in 2000 for which he was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. He transitioned from independent to studio filmmaking with Insomnia in 2002, and found further critical and commercial success with the Dark Knight trilogy between 2005 and 2012. However, in between that trilogy, he also found time to make The Prestige in 2006 and Inception in 2010. After the Dark Knight trilogy, he would go on to make Interstellar, in 2014, and Dunkirk in 2017, the latter of which earned him Academy Award nominations for Best Picture and Best Director. I'm excited to dive into some Nolan films. Oh, yeah. I've I've been a fan. I, I think, personally speaking, he's probably my most favorite film director. Um, so I thought we would start right at the beginning yeah. with his first theatrical release uh, in 1998 called Following. Uh, Following is an independent neo-noir sort of crime thriller uh, written and directed by Christopher Nolan. It tells the story of a young man who follows strangers around the streets of London and is drawn into the criminal underworld when he fails to keep his distance. Uh, Hmm. This film was actually done with a $6,000 budget, probably one of the lowest budget films to actually get a theatrical release. This movie took him about a year to actually piece together. He shot it on 16 millimeter film. So it's a real gritty sort of black and white, very textural sort of aesthetic. Um, But it took him a year to put this together. And it was really just to kind of uh, deal with the ongoing, like the various schedules of people that were uh, that were involved in the film. Um, But yeah, guys, have you guys either of you guys checked this film out? I have not seen this yet. I watched a trailer for it uh, and it it looked intriguing but not enough to me that i was gonna run out and 
and uh, go to the theater to watch it. Uh, but um, but no, I it's it's definitely like noir, um, right? Like it's all black and white. At no point in time does it go color, right? No, yeah, it's entirely it's entirely black and white. And like the noir aesthetic is obviously the like the, the physical look of it, but it's also like the sort of the, the the dark shadows, you know, the mystery, the sort of crime thriller aspect of it. So it very much leans on that sort of adopting a lot of that. Um, I actually checked this film out. Uh, this is uh, obviously Nolan's first film, but also his first sort of experiment at fragmented narratives, uh, which would become obviously a distinct style in his storytelling. Uh, the movie itself serves as an example of what can be achieved with a good story and a clear vision of a filmmaker versus big budget and star power, and also having just studio backing. For his first real movie with such a small budget, this is it's actually really, really good. Like I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was actually the, like there's there's certain moments that feel very like very student film. But if this is a student film, this is probably the best student film, and it, it has been celebrated as one of his you know prime examples of of him being a, the filmmaker that he is now. It's interesting uh, because um, it's it, you know I'm looking at the cast list here, and I, like I'm not seeing any names I recognize except there's, there's for nobody. Other yeah. than uh, other than his bro, John Nolan, right? Yeah. No, John um, which Nolan's I was like... actually not Jonathan Nolan. It's actually oh, an okay. older gentleman. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I thought it was okay. Maybe yeah, not. No, I know. Is he related in any way? I haven't actually looked, but no, it's an older. It's an <laughs> um, older gentleman who's a cop. Then the only other name that I recognize uh, is David Julian, which like he's done a he's done a lot of the earlier nolan scores uh so he obviously likes to work with that guy but um but it's interesting i wonder if the cast here would uh would maybe take me out a little bit just because again i'm so used to seeing the big you know uh crazy expensive casts that he normally puts in these films right right exactly but again this is his first first film he did it on a very low budget right he he was really trying to to do it as a means that i I feel like his ability of how he was able to translate what he studied in terms of you know um, uh, english literature into filmmaking because there there are obviously a lot of parallels with that i just think that now he was able to give more of a visual style to the way that he writes and, and how he uses the camera as very much the pen that he's writing and telling the story with um there's there's just interesting parts to it where you really do get to see a sense of early Nolan-esque like styles like the fragmented narrative you know you're seeing things before they've happened um and then they come to sort of like an intersecting point where you realize um you know the the music you know you called out the music the music serves a very integral part in terms of like a sense of urgency but yeah Mm, it it, it, there's there's this this mischievous sort of behavior to it and, and a very uh, you know, two-sided sort of narrative too. It's really, it's really good. I, I enjoyed it. This doesn't seem like a movie I would watch. You know, even mm-hmm. as a big Nolan fan, even if Nolan was my, I mean, maybe if Nolan was like my all-time favorite director, I'd want to go out and check out. But sure. you know, the way you described it, I thought it was pretty. It's almost like a a student film. Yeah. You know, uh, like I don't need to go out and watch THX eleven thirty eight. You know, I know <laughs> yeah, what exactly. it meant to George Lucas's sure. career, but. Yeah. Like, no, I'll wait till you know, student work is good, you know, but yeah, that's yeah, kind yeah. of like your your resume, your application for I'll wait till you're working the job before I check out, you know, the work you do, you know. Right. So, and that's a great call out um, to THX, you know, George Lucas, what it did. I think it's you're safe to say that's exactly how you would look at, you know, following as being attributed to his career. Uh, well, just in terms of critical reception. Uh, the film has a uh, an IMDb fan score of 7.5, which uh, ranks it uh, second lowest of all the f- 
Nolan films. Uh, it's got a Metacritic score of 60%, which is actually the lowest of all of his uh, films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score is uh, 81%. Mm-hmm. Um, so generally liked, but not maybe loved by yes. uh, the Rotten Tomato voters. That puts it at uh, six out of eight films. Mm-hmm. Um, and then its Flickster fan score is at uh, 85%, which again puts it lower down the list right he's mm. got some pretty high scores i can only imagine both in rotten tomato and flickster so yeah 85 yeah. while seemingly a good score is is right down there i think it's the third lowest score his sure. films have received so. i honestly yeah. like i would probably say that this is one of the low scoring ones personally again um, these are all good scores so that's are. incredible to no, think this is yeah. such an early piece of sure. his yeah. it's a six thousand dollar budget yeah you know, and to still be received that well. Yep. Like, you know, it's almost like Christopher Nolan's worst film is still a great film is essentially, you know, what I'm sort of getting from all of this. And enjoyable. Yeah. And I think that, like, it really played, you know, to your point, Kevin, it was an audition. And I think it was an audition really for his next film that, you know, mm. he got the notoriety after following to actually go on and, and make. And that is Memento, released in 2000. Uh, Memento is, uh, again, a very new, neo-noir psychological thriller directed by uh, Christopher Nolan. I, have you guys seen Memento? Absolutely. Okay, cool. I just watched it, actually, uh, okay, so you're, you uh, as my it. whatcha. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I had no idea going into Memento anything about it i'd never watched a trailer nobody's ever told me what it was Mm -hmm. and wow my experience was so much better and so it's just so fantastic because of the way that i again didn't know anything about it there's there's a lot of like the non-spoiler stuff that exists out there and one of the big like things that they all seem to talk about is the parallel narratives that are running and just to give people a foundation or a background to understand that there are, you know, two narratives that are kind of succinctly running here uh, to mm-hmm. kind of create, you know, Nolan's very, very accomplished uh, fragmented narr- narrative to his his story. This is wholly original, like in in my opinion, like I think this, you know, especially in 2000, you know, seeing this film, it, it just it was such a a breath of fresh air to see a movie that was entirely its own and, and original and, and had a very, very refined and, and focused uh, view. I've never seen a movie like this. I've never seen a, a structured narrative done, and we're just going to get the cat out of the bag here, done backwards. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of that film, I literally had to, st- I started the film probably three times over to rewatch him messing with the photo and 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 you know shaking the the polaroid yeah. because i was like hold on a second that's not how polaroids work <laughs> cuz it yeah. started undeveloping right and cuz it was going backwards and like the 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 moment you tune into that fact which for me which for pretty much everyone i guess what is just when everything starts moving backwards but the moment that you tune into that and then you start realizing that the whole movie is going in that direction yeah. it it just it floored me, man. That, yeah, that it opening floored me. That opening scene with the Polaroid, you know, that pretty much summarizes the entire movie. Not just from the <laughs> perspective of talking about like the narrative running backwards, but in that opening scene with the shaking of the Polaroid and, and the the image slowly disappearing, like this is so symbolic to how the movie is and, 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 and in many ways what Leonard deals with 
are the protagonists played by right. Guy Pierce, who who did a phenomenal job. Um, you know, th- that that disappearing of the image from the Polaroid is very symbolic of this sort of condition that Leonard suffers from. And the whole movie itself kind of puts you in the same sort of place with how you're experiencing things backwards and 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 maybe forwards at the same time. Like it's very disjointed. He has such a way with how he structured the story to put the viewer in the same place as as Leonard with his own memory loss, right? So I, I thought that was right. very crafty. Uh, you know, has, has a very multi level to to why that narrative worked so well. So now this wasn't the first thing to be done in reverse order. Um, you know, you have Adam McGoyan's The Sweet Hereafter in 1997. It plays very much in reverse chronicle, uh, chronological order. Really? Um, there was even a film in 1927 that had many sequences that were in reverse order as an attempt to try something new and try to, um, you know, disorient the viewer. Uh, there's a Czech film called Happy End from 1966. I mean, even um, the Seinfeld episode... Uh, what's it called again? Uh, the Betrayal um, is an episode done entirely backwards. Um, hmm. But it's never been done this well. It's never been done this just brilliantly well, you know? And while those were sort of done in reverse order as a, as a just as a means of doing something differently, it was entirely a narrative structure that, that Nolan's using in this. You know, it's not just as a stunt, it's to tell the story a certain way. And I think that's what makes it so successful when he did it. It actually started feeling like a video game. You know what I mean? And I know I talk about video games a lot, but like just in the sense of like all of the different objects that he had. And we would go back and then, you know, this you would see the next the next thing that you would see was, okay, that's how he got the suit. That's how the window broke. That's how, you know, so it, it's, it, I just felt I'd never really experienced anything like that. Um, and well, it's almost like he's a video game character and then it's like, would you like to restart, right? And yes. And he's trying again, right? And yeah. yeah. Oh, dude, it's so fantastic. Um, my, only, my only gripe with it was I think they should have gone with Brad Pitt uh, instead of... Uh, Guy Pierce, because I think he would have been a, a much better. No, I think he would have done a better job, no. but Guy, I don't know. Guy Pierce, no, was, no. Guy Pierce was fantastic in this film. He he has such a natural presence to Leonard. Like he he from the way he delivers his lines to those silent moments where his facial expression can do so much. Like he really brought Leonard to life by fully believing his ambitions and, and drive and what he was wanting to achieve. So it's like Guy Pierce, like he did a, he did an outstanding job, and and I think the film itself. You know, this will become an ongoing theme as we get deeper into Nolan's films. Mm. But this being the first sort of element of, of, again, great storytelling. And then you're it's amplified by really great performance. You know, as we were talking, you know, following kind of felt like a student film. And that might have been because of the sort of mediocre at time sort of performances from some of the actors that were in it. When you have someone seasoned like Guy Pierce who just, you know, fully believes this role it, it was you know very well done on, on the part of 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 what he was able to achieve but you know kevin as you were mentioning before you know things being done before in terms of in reverse i think that's obviously a, a very good point um but i think the other thing that really helps with this is that you you have two narratives one running backwards one running forwards and and it is actually that that intersection where they 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 come together that really brings it all together. It's not just a story backwards because you actually had two narratives to follow. Uh, right. Yeah. 
so yeah definitely together yeah exactly exactly um kev what was the meta scores uh you got some stats there for us uh so now um i mean i guess for anybody who's seen the movie and is a nolan fan um this is almost once you've seen it it becomes almost one of the first things you think of when you think of christopher nolan um and the scores certainly reflect that um I was a little surprised by the IMDb score. It's at an, it's at an 8.4. So it's right around the middle of the pack, lower end of the middle of the pack. So not nearly as high as I thought. But now you go to the meta score, and uh, it's a solid 80%, the second uh, highest ranked um, on the snobby critics, as I like to call them. <laughs> and then you go to the more commercial critical view in Rotten Tomato. It's at 93%, so the second highest rated. And then you go to the Flickster audience score. Um, so I guess that's what, the less snobby fans? No, that's cert- the fans don't work the same as the <laughs> critics do between IMDb and Rotten Tomato or Flickster. Uh, but no, it's got a Flickster audience score of 94%, which is the highest rated. Wow. So it's certainly, it's it's one of his best received both critically and with audiences, yeah. for sure. Yeah, no, I, I think that goes Even though I bet you so many of those audience members didn't see it when it first come, came out. Right. I mean, I didn't right. see this until probably after, you know, something like The Prestige. You know what I mean? Right, like, right, right, right. it was it was a long time after that yeah. I saw it. So I'm sure that, so I think this has become such a, not a, almost a cult classic, a beloved film that people have found later on yes. in Nolan's career. It wasn't sure. like an instant success and i mean that that's also because it was an indie film so it probably the the release was probably very very small very limited right. so it was very festival driven so the release was entirely festival driven um it, it got nominated for a variety of different awards including original screenplay he was acknowledged by uh the director's guild the writer's guild um so the, the movie itself in hollywood did what it was meant to do for nolan's career is establish him as a very competent focused uh and and in many ways driven film filmmaker um and you know this would then be the experience for nolan to now jump into the hollywood system so this with this film under his belt he would then transition into the next film that we are going to talk about which is called insomnia and this is from 2002 insomnia is a murder mystery that uh, stars al pacino robin williams and hillary swank takes place in alaska uh where Mm -hmm. in a specific city i can't remember the name right now but the sun does not set, uh, adding to the insomnia feel of this movie. Um, just a little bit of background as well. You know, as we were talking about Memento, you know, Steven Sodenberg uh, was behind insomnia and getting it uh, pushed through, uh, you know, distributed through Warner Brothers. And his production company was uh, involved. And he really pushed for Christopher Nolan to direct insomnia after seeing uh, memento so again memento did exactly what it was meant to do it put nolan on the map and here he comes being able to direct a murder mystery that is uh starring some serious star power right like it has some serious star power to it um but have either of you guys checked this movie out uh i uh, i'm almost positive i actually saw this in theaters right um now, I didn't know it was a, a, a Christopher Nolan film, obviously, when I saw it, because who the heck was Christopher Nolan, right? Um, and I just wasn't in my film-watching you know, stage to sort of either enjoy or appreciate what was going on here. Um, it just 
really wasn't my type of movie at that time, you know. But, hey, that Al Pacino guy and, man, I love Robin Williams. Let's go check out this movie. And so <laughs> that wasn't the right attitude to go in to see this one with. Um, so yeah. it was certainly not one of my favorites at the time. And I have not gone back to watch it since. So yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel, uh, you know, who knows where I would rank this overall in a Nolan, you know, right. top films or anything like that. But uh that's just the memory I have of it. Yeah, I had I had seen it a long time ago. I haven't re, I didn't rewatch it in anticipation for for this podcast, uh, like I did with uh, following and, and Memento. Um, but I had seen this movie twice because I was to your point, Kevin, very shocked. That being said, so a couple things that I remember from watching it is what starts to be like a murder mystery, then ends up being like a tug of war battle of like wills between like. Pacino and Williams like you know like just the, the mm. you know because it seems very cut and dry right like Nate you recently watched it right yeah I watched it I actually watched it just before I watched um Memento because I thought I thought going into it uh, I've heard like the only thing that I did hear about Memento was just how phenomenal it was and I hadn't really heard the same praise for uh for Insomnia so I I thought well I'll watch Insomnia first to get get it out of the way um yeah dude honestly it, it was it was it was fantastic because I knew it was a Nolan film going in. I recognized certain things. Um, I mean, it's interesting that we're seeing him go from you know a, a slow paced noir film to a slow paced noir film with some weird time stuff to another slow paced detective film with some time stuff. And you know, it's it, it sort of feels like he's got his own theming going on so far. But you know, going into it, like immediately, you can tell it's a Nolan film. Uh, the the airplane intro with the swelling music coming in, like it was the way it was shot. Um, I think he captured uh, Night Mute Alaska really, really well. And what a name for a small fishing village in Alaska, Night Mute, yeah. um, to go along with this That's movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So super cool stuff. Um, I I've never I found that I've never really watched Al Pacino before, so. That was interesting. Um, you guys are probably gonna, you know, again, it's all the movies Nate, all the movies Nate hasn't seen. Um, I've really not watched any Al Pacino stuff, so he was he was great, um, but he was totally outacted in my opinion. Um, I think Robin Williams just the moment he's introduced, which takes in my mind because I wanted to see Robin Williams on the screen again because I I just miss him so much. Um, it took too long to get to him, but um, I did think the buildup was really good. But when we do get to him, he just steals it so well. Like he's so phenomenal. Um, so yeah, dude, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, but the, the only issue that I had with it um, really was just that again, it, it, for me, it didn't feel Nolan enough. It didn't feel big spectacle enough. And again, this is me coming at it from a standpoint of I've never watched Memento. I never watched his first film. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm wanting these big, massive set pieces that we're used to now with Nolan, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, that could just be me coming at it from that bias. But for me, this, this really didn't kick it too well. And uh, I I don't know. I, I think it's probably the weakest one that I would I would say for me, at least. Well, and, and from what I can remember, it's almost the most straightforward or paint by the numbers in terms of narrative that he, you know, outside of the Batman, you know, more franchised sort of storytelling. This is very much just a typical 
Hollywood sort of thriller or what you know, however, whatever genre you want to kind of. He plays with with the, the insomnia feel, right? So like the title Insomnia kind of serves as like a manifestation of of kind of Pacino's guilt that he deals with in this film, as well mm. as the idea of obviously the murder taking place in a city where the sun doesn't set. So it's it's just an added layer. And with that, you have um, these sort of very, like, is it real? Is it not real? Is it in his head? Um, things that would happen in terms of like, and, and that's why the editing was very, very fast and like quick shots of things or, you know, close-ups of like the eyes and then like coming back, like just to kind of really capture. So there there is this sort of like a little bit of displacement, but at the same time, it, it is, to your point, Kev, very, very linear. Um, but he does try to play around, I think, with it um, in terms of like experiencing like, is this real? Is this a memory? Um, did this happen? Did this not happen? Kind of thing. I did also relate. You, meant, you mentioned uh, um, Pacino's character, um, his guilt uh, in the in the sense, um, you know, I get, uh, Will Dormer, um, how he kills his Eckhart. Yeah. Uh, right. He kills his partner. And, and you know. It's interesting. I I did really enjoy the fact that it 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 plays with that idea of was it a mistake or right. was it not? And right? And was he a killer? And that's the beauty of this film is that it does start off like a very murder mystery sort of thing, but then the cop yeah. that's doing the investigating suddenly becomes the 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 person that is has committed an act, and the and the murderer that they're they're following is the witness that had seen him. Right. So it's like right. it, it really plays into like now Al Pacino's out to get Williams, but Williams has one up on on Pacino because he knows he actually shot his partner. So right. um, I think it's actually a very underrated movie. Like, again, it's probably not one of his best, but I, it's still in many ways. I think the craft of Nolan's storytelling is upped uh, once again as well. Uh, it, it gives this uh, it, he gives the audience information while also leaving things kind of like up in the air. Um, but, yeah, it is another example of really good storytelling with uh you know fantastic performances to to kind of go with it and to help elevate that story uh well i i I, um i like i know we've kind of been talking about it right like this really fun progression of nolan's career from like student film essentially to the indie game and now here he is in the in the you know the the big time the the hollywood blockbuster-esque type of film but I don't think this one really stands out on his filmography mm-hmm. as much as it does Robin Williams, because mm-hmm. that was such yeah. an interesting time in his career. Uh, like 2002 was an absolutely insane year for Robin Williams. You know, everybody, the, 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 you know, everybody loves him. And the, the guy who's known for making you laugh had this turn where he kind of almost tried to reinvent himself in his career. And he went super dark. You know, he had, one hour photo, which is like a borderline slasher, like it's that psychological, very very dark movie. Really uh, he did Death to Smoochie, which is as oh. black a comedy as you can get. Like it's just there. And really? then you know to top it off with Insomnia, like 2002 was just such a wild little blip in Robin Williams' um, sort of filmography that. It just I find that is almost more significant um, of the film than than it like other than it being Nolan's first foray into a a full budget sort of big time theatrically released movie. Um, So that's what I sort of get out of it more than anything. Now, in terms of uh, the, the rankings here, this is actually maybe one of the most fascinating movies because audiences, uh, general audiences did not receive this film very well. 
Uh, got a 7.2 uh, on an IMDb film score. Again, still not a super low score, but that is the lowest of the Nolan movies, a 7.2 IMDb, mm-hmm. and also a 77% Flickster score, which is, again, the lowest of all the Nolan movies. Right. But the critics really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, it received yeah. a 78% versus 80% for uh, Memento, uh, right? So For Metacritic. Uh, it got a 92% on Rotten Tomato versus a 93% for Memento. Uh, so mm. it's right there at third or fourth in the in the Metacritic scores and I, uh, Rotten Tomato scores. So again, a critical darling, but not as well received by audiences. So Interesting. Well, I'm sure the next film that we're going to talk about was well received. This is Batman Begins from 2005. But before we get to his next film... Uh, I wanted to give you guys a little fun fact. This is what I, uh, as I was reading and kind of learning more about Nolan. He was attached to do a Howard Hughes movie uh, after Insomnia um, that he wrote, which he has dubbed as like his best script ever. And guess who was going to play wow. Howard Hughes? Hugh Jackman. No, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jim Carrey oh. is Howard Hughes. So I oh, thought, no. so I thought there's that was Jim Carrey's elusive Oscar. Right? That's what that I said. He, like, he never even had a chance to win like, it. Yeah. If you have Nolan saying like it was probably one of his best scripts he's ever written, like I want right. to oh. know if that movie could potentially get made. Uh, maybe not with uh, Jim Carrey now, but that would have been great. Um, but anyways, he did not end up doing that movie because obviously Scorsese was doing um, Aviator, I believe it was called, with uh, mm-hmm. with Leo. Um, right, so and that would have been right around the same time, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So in uh, 2003, after obviously doing Insomnia with Warner Brothers, Nolan approached Warner with the idea of making a Batman film. Fascinated by the character and the story, he wanted to make a film grounded in a relatable world more reminiscent of a classical drama than the typical comic book fantasy. Now, obviously, as we all know, Batman Begins is a story of how Bruce Wayne uh, learns the ropes of being a ninja and becoming Batman uh, and his and literally the first part of a three part trilogy that we will obviously keep talking about in this. Um, A couple quotes that I pulled from reviewers, uh, Kyle Smith from the New York Post called it a wake up call to all the people who keep giving us cute capers about men in tights. It wipes the smirk off the face of the superhero movie. I entirely agree with that. For the 10th anniversary, Forbes published an article describing its everlasting influence. Now, this I thought was really interesting because it really does make sense because of Batman Begins. Reboot became one of our modern vocabulary words, and superhero origin Mm. stories became increasingly in style for the genre. The phrase Mm. dark and gritty likewise joined the cinematic language, influencing our perception of different types of approach to storytelling, not only in the comic book film genre, but in all sorts of genres. So this idea of dark and gritty... Um, the idea of rebooting kind of all started with with this. It, it kind of left a everlasting impression on on uh, superhero genre as well as you know impacting other genres. Now I know you guys have seen this movie. Uh, I might have seen it once. Or, once <laughs> I don't it, even know if I've seen the whole thing though. Yeah, sorry, I might have just seen the beginning. <laughs> oh, get out of here! <laughs> of Cut Batman, Mike. No, you know what? Um, it's. I really enjoy Batman Begins. Um, I know that it it's you know it it definitely uh, we'll talk about Dark Knight and, and Dark Knight Rises, but just as a way to start off, 
this fantastic trilogy of movies from a serious and grounded standpoint. You know, like all of the Batman films, and Justin, you were telling me you were watching some of the 90s Batman movies, yep. um, you know, sort of leading leading up to uh, Batman Begins. You know, we, as a, a theater-going audience, I don't think we'd ever seen anything like this. And I, I do think it had the potential, and I, unfortunately it didn't go that direction, but it had the potential to be the Iron Man uh, for the DCU films, and it, you know, obviously oh, you we didn't go like, that route. Right, starting a to, cinematic to start universe. it off, right? right, right. Yeah, like well, I imagine, yeah. imagine a DC cinematic universe in no, like Nolan's DC cinematic universe. What really stands out for me in terms of my memory of this movie is just, you know, you got to think the last Batman movie we saw in theaters, or you know, before this, mm-hmm. had nipples on the suits and <laughs> yeah. Batman had his credit card and and bat the cheeks. Bat- you know, yeah, yeah, rock hard bat cheeks and the bad guys walking around like, you know, doing silly ice puns and, and whatnot. Oh, and then even superhero movies, while Spider-Man certainly is a step above those Batman movies, you know, that was sort of what we had in terms mm-hmm. of superhero movies at the time was the Spider-Man movies and the level of just writing and direction and filmmaking that yeah. separates the Spider-Man movies from this movie. I was just like, I didn't know what to expect. Of course, I, you know, I've always loved to go see the blockbusters in theaters, but I wasn't like, this is going to change everything. It was just, I'll go see a new Batman yeah. movie. Sure. Yeah. I, and leaving that theater, it was just like, I couldn't believe how good it was. Yeah, Not know, just right? as a superhero yeah. movie, but just we, as a good movie. We saw it together, Kev. We, you, me, yeah. uh, I think Danielle, our, our old friend Danielle, and, and a bunch of other people were there. Um, I remember going into that theater, and I was so stoked because, like, at this point, I had known who Christopher Nolan was. I'd, I'd seen Memento, um, so I was very excited to see. I hadn't seen Insomnia. Um, that one sneaked by me in 2005. But yeah, see, I probably would have been less excited had I known it was by the guy who did that <laughs> dreary insomnia movie I saw a few years ago. You know, but I, I think Kevin, you go. Without, it goes without saying, like this movie was destined to be a superhero classic. Uh, the film delved deep into the origins of Batman and not what we already know, but you know how he becomes Batman. The film is a hundred. Yeah, like unless you read the comics. Yeah, of course. But you, and even this was comics, all new stuff in the comics. It's it's very it's very you know it's not as as flushed out i think there's parts of this origin story that comes from various parts in the comics um you know we never really get to see this this side with this film nolan 100 percent influenced the superhero genre the film makes bruce wayne matter like he actually makes mm. the you know bruce wayne it's more about bruce wayne than it is about batman Right. It's, it's about yeah. how he becomes Batman. Um, we see his relationships with his parents. We see his relationship with with Alfred. And, and of course, how he becomes, you know, this, you know, ninja detective. Nolan grounds this spectacle hero in realism and practicality while also making him transcend to the hero status. He also gave Wayne mm-hmm. a, or Batman a moral compass that would inevitably become a huge part of the sequel. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, Nolan nailed the Batman Begins by not incorporating a top-tier villain uh, like the Joker. He saved the Joker. Uh, this stayed focused on, this allowed the audience to buy in to Batman, to Gotham, to the characters of Gotham, really like sink in to that, and then take us into number two, where we're introduced to that top-tier villain, the one that's going to challenge him. 
you you said it. It's a Bruce Wayne movie, right? And and very much yes, this introduces the the concept of Batman to Bruce Wayne, but to introduce Bruce Wayne to audiences in this way, um, I think is one of the biggest successes of this movie. If you told me that, you know, do you want to watch a movie that does predominantly focus on not Batman but his alter ego? I would I would be like, nah, no, nah, that doesn't sound exciting at all. But the way that it's done and the way that it's written, the character of Bruce and how he grows and we get to obviously see him as a little kid. Um, it's such a, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's such a good exploration of that character. And I think that's good that we have the Batman, the most of the Batman, I think uh, in Batman begins, because I do think, you know, as we're going to get into dark Knight, that's going to focus obviously much more on the Joker. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, that's a, that's a good point. I, I would also say, you know, like, the anticipation of seeing him in the costume in Batman Begins yeah. is so much oh, fun. Man. Like you see all the training, you see all the stuff that goes through it. You see like the little hints of his costume, but then when he's on Falcone's car and pulls him up, I'm Batman, and he says the <laughs> lie, right? Like you laugh, but then you applaud at the same time because it's like it's like the perfect point. You've reached that point of seeing him in his costume and and all the work that he's done to get to be this character. It was a very like that one of those like you know fist pumps in the air sort of moments, right? Yeah, it, it could have been borderline campy, right? Right. Mm. Um, um, and it almost has become a joke in and of itself, right. but it was just so cool yeah. that it was like the right kind of like, yeah. just that kind of borderline jokey that you want in a movie. Yeah. Um, you know, that otherwise, like, I mean, I think they do it, did dark so well. It was dark, but not brooding. Or dreary, or right. like some DC movies that tried to be dark, <laughs> you know, boring, right? Like mm. this was still really fun despite it having those grittier tones to the character. Yeah. And yeah. that balance is just so good. And just a quick shout to the Raza Ghoul reveal, like the yeah. twist there that was just such a fun spin with Liam Neeson's character oh, that, Liam Neeson, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah. like. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, absolutely, Kev. Like, I think that the balance of dark to give Batman because he is that dark character and I think this is obviously a film that Batman fans graphic novel fans of Batman have wanted to see and this is obviously the closest without going so so dark that it's like it's it's depressing right yeah you know like it's not Joker dark right absolutely you know and, yeah. and obviously I don't mean the character but the movie, movie of yes, the, of you course. know yeah yeah like it's and, not that dark and right yeah. and not that dramatic as well right like it yeah. there is there is a light tone because obviously it's still day, an adventure movie exactly. at, the, at the heart of it an action but adventure movie that you go on with this character that yeah. just made it a lot of fun and while made, being very serious and while he hits all those points in his character's journey you are with him as he goes through that and it's that's the adventure for me at least I, I think that seeing him reach these certain thresholds and points and you know where he's where he's back in Gotham and he's getting back into the swing of things and you know discovering more it's just it, it was such a well done movie and and a defining movie for the for the superhero genre well oh, a quick okay. shout here I didn't think Katie Holmes was that bad at all I had no problem with her portrayal as yeah. as Rachel Do you know why and she didn't come back break. apparently was it uh, something a bit more domestic for her? I think so. I don't think Tom Cruise mm. wanted her to. Right. So it wasn't that. that they didn't weren't happy with her performance and yeah. felt they needed to recast her. It was it was more on her end not coming back. Again, that's a rumor. A I don't know if that's like right. official. But there like, were a ton of rumors about like the Scientology that you know situation that, that in sense, Hollywood, right? Kind of 
Yeah. Because I liked to. I, I thought she was perfectly fine. That might be one of her best roles ever. Yeah, she you know? was very, you know, so. she played very innocent, but also like kind of like strong when she needed to be, right? Like she was brave. Yeah. Brave, but, yeah. you know, noticeably scared with of a very scary situation. Yeah, yeah she was Joffrey, protecting Joffrey, right? right? So exactly. <laughs> oh, weird. Yeah, isn't that yeah. weird? Yeah, Joffrey's the one. Yeah. I told my friends about you, but they all laughed. Um, um, but yeah, uh, so Metascore, Kev, what's, what are we looking at here? Um, I got to say, like, this just shows the the strength of Nolan's filmography when you see uh, how low some of these scores are. Uh, IMDb um, fans gave it an 8.2. Mm, um, so a good score, but sixth on the list. Um, it got a 70% uh, Metacritic score, which, uh, again, a really strong score from the toughest critics in the biz. But that puts it at sixth on that list as well. Uh, Rotten Tomato score of 84%, hmm. a little lower than I expected there. Um, that's about fifth on the list. So again, this is right in the middle towards lower end of the middle. Um, but Flickster audiences, another 94%. So ties it with Memento as uh, his top ranked movie. Wow. We might just see one more film score a 94% from the Flickster audiences, oh, but... Nice. Uh, who knows? Nice. But again, still, but again, very well received, but it just goes to show you how strong his film, filmography is that it's so far down. Hmm. Amazing. Cool. Um, so after Batman Begins, Nolan takes a break. Now, the thing to know about the whole Batman trilogy is that he wasn't signed to do three movies. He said he wouldn't come back unless he had a story to tell. Hmm. And I think for... Batman Begins the Dark Knight, he obviously did have a story that he wanted to tell, and I think he had had an outline at least, but he did want to do a movie in between before he moved back into that sort of very immersive studio system style. So in 2006, we see the release of The Prestige. So after a tragic accident, two stage magicians engage in a battle to create the ultimate illusion while sacrificing everything they have to outwit each other. Uh, this, of course, stars uh, Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman, Scarlett Johansson, uh, written Ugh. by Jonathan Nolan, Christopher Nolan as well, and of course, directed so by good. Christopher Nolan. Uh, guys, uh, who wants to start? Kev, I, I think you, I would like to hear your opinion oh, of Prestige. This, now, this is the movie, as much as I enjoyed Batman, it still wasn't like, now who did that? But this was the movie where I just fell in love with the kind of storyteller that Christopher Nolan is. Mm. This is the movie that made me go back and watch Memento because I wanted right. to see more of what this guy right. had done before. Right. Right. Um, this movie, uh, this was one of those zero trailers, don't know much about what's going on sort of nice. movies. Yes. And so to leave the theater after this one, just my mind was blown. The twists, the turns, the fun of it all. I've just, I was hooked on this one from start to finish. Uh, and it's far better than that other crappy magic movie that came out the, the same year, The Illusionist. Yes, I wanted to t I wanted to mention that, right? <laughs> like, you know, you talked about the Howard Hughes movie not coming out because of The Aviator, and then you know, here here comes out The Prestige, and even though The Illusionist, literally in my mind, I'm like. That's the same movie. Like I've seen that movie. Well, I've seen the illusionist. It. People confused yeah. the two a lot. I remember I was talking to someone about the prestige, and they were like talking, "Oh yeah, Edward Norton's in." I'm like, "No, no, no, that's the illusionist," <laughs> right? Because they were so close in release, right? I think yeah. they were only like a, a few months apart, and might have overlapped in theaters at the same time. If if that's my recollection, if not, it, it definitely was the same year. 
right? So and it was one hundred percent the same year. It was within months. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. For me, being uh, you know dumb sixteen year old kid at the time, like I wasn't Nolan wasn't on my radar as Nolan. You know, I, I liked Batman obviously, but but I, I never really thought of Nolan um, that much. So I actually saw the Prestige. <laughs> believe it or not, like a couple of years later at my church oddly enough like we had a youth group movie night and i'm like we're watching it and we're like we're asking our pastor we're like why are we watching this in church but whatever it was you know it was honestly i think it's probably his most underrated film in my opinion um i don't think it gets enough love uh i don't think people think of it enough when they think of christopher nolan it just to me i do not no, I agree with you there, Nate. I agree with you there. I don't it's, think it's on enough. It's close enough to the top of people's lists when yes. they're naming off their favorite Nolan films. Metacritic. It needs to be higher. Yeah. Metacritic, yeah, Metacritic will, will, will tell us those numbers in a little bit. There's some interesting things with the score, but we'll discuss a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, um, certainly. Wait, I'm just wondering, did, did the yeah. church show you this movie to show you the dangers of science? You know? <laughs> <laughs> they were Maybe that was about, it. Right? <laughs> Maybe that was it. I don't, honestly, I don't know. there's only one kind of magic you can believe <laughs> in, Nate. <laughs> for, our, for our youth groups, you know, we were pretty chill. We weren't, you know, it was pretty awesome. cool. But, awesome. um, but no, um honestly the cast in this film like you've got you've got three superheroes Gollum and David <laughs> Bowie yeah. in this movie like how do you get better than that yeah, like no the cast is and uh, Michael Caine who actually like uh, of all yeah. his of all of his like Christopher Nolan appearances like this one yeah. served one of probably the most important influential roles he affected these characters deeply he sets the tone for this movie giving us an explanation to the three-act structure of a magician uh you know of a magic trick being the pledge the turn and of course the prestige and in many ways nolan takes this three-act sort of magician structure and implements it in his film through the so narrative cool. of the storytelling and he's he's a magician on his own like he he puts things in plain sight and because you're looking over here you're not looking at what you should be looking at right just like right a magician in front of your eyes exactly oh. and i think that's the brilliance of of nolan he's able to implement a magician's sort of hand in his editing and storytelling with this film it's it's fantastic i mean you speak about magicians and and magic tricks i mean i think yeah like the idea of crafting worlds that are so believable and yet so you know like the fact that it ends up like there's clone the cloning technology <laughs> at that time is one of those things that like i didn't even blink an eye at going back and thinking about it i'm like yeah, obviously, you know, like that seems pretty far fetched that there would be the ability to clone people. But hey, but, but at the same time, if Tesla hadn't been held back, you know, right. and had been able to work his scientific genius, who knows what we he would have had actually cloning. been developing? Mm. Who knows, you know? Mm. But, um, but but no, no I, I agree with that point. Sorry, it, just that he made the unbelievable just so just so yeah. Of course, much. I'm in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, dude, it's honestly. It's. It, I haven't seen it in so long. Just like you, Justin. Like, yeah. This is this is one I watch uh, every every like few years or so. You know, it's one. If I saw it on TV, I'll you know I love the restart feature that TV has now. But if I'm skimming through the TV guide and it's there, up oh, restart. I'll watch that. You know, nice. Um, and now obviously the the twists towards the end are a little easier to spot now. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. But that first time through, just like yeah the reveals of yeah. how these things were being done was so amazing. So I, well I think, done. I think the first time I realized that there was a twin 
was like mind-boggling to me like i was like what yeah it's, yeah it's and like then, an oh and then it just made sense because like rebecca hall's character who's also in this film who, who did a, who has a real emotional presence uh, from what i remember like i remember watching it i think it was the second or third time where you know she would always make reference to oh today you love me today's a day that you don't love me and it's almost makes you wonder who's who right who who's you know is it well twin? going back yeah right. going yeah. back now you can sure. tell which yeah. brother it is and yeah, yeah. but the, so. and the, it's so neat that he shows you mm-hmm. what's happening throughout the movie like how the tricks are being done yeah. you know but you don't pick up on that right. cuz it's again like you said it's that sleight of hand and the the diverting your attention right. to other things going on it's just so many brilliant little things I, in this movie and, that make it so good you know as we were talking about with 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 insomnia and and batman begins you know these are a little bit more traditionally you know they're narratively driven in a nolan style but they don't have that sort of you know uh fragmented narrative you know we're not following but here we get this sort of like you know we see it and then we see what would have happened you know like the sort of behind the scenes, if you will. And that kind of creates that sort of displacement of time. And I think that's kind of like what I was saying with insomnia. Like, even though, you know, there was things that were happening, you know, he's found a way to still implement these visuals that kind of create displacement of time um, so that you don't know what's, what's current and what's not. Right. So, um, but I, you know, as we kind of reach deeper into his his repertoire, we're going to see more and more of like that sort of convergence of those those into the styles. weird <laughs> into the weird. There you go, awesome. Um, Kev, you got those meta scores? Uh, well, so this one's kind of uh, the opposite of Insomnia, um, where people love this movie, but the critics weren't as hot on it. Um, uh, hmm. Prestige got an eight point five IMDb fan score, ranking it fourth. Uh, so the, sort of the, the top tier of the middle, uh, but it was a 66% medic score, so seventh out of uh, eight there, second worst reviewed uh, by the Metacritics. Um, it's a 76% Rotten Tomato score, so seventh out of eight there. Again, these are numbers because there's lots of ties, um, just right. to clear be clear here. But uh, yeah, so 76% Rotten Tomato score, so that puts it seventh out of eight. Uh, but then a number, uh, a 92, uh, so second... Um, out of uh, the Flickster audience scores, favorite uh, Nolan. Actually, about fourth, but still right at the top there with, you know, people's favorite movies. So, I mean, maybe we're a little off in saying that it's underappreciated, Nate, but I think while people love it, they don't talk about it enough, maybe. Right. To reflect how much Mm -hmm. people do actually enjoy the the, the picture. I would would say, we we already mentioned it, you know, Insomnia kind of catches people by surprise in terms of it being a Nolan film, but, like, people will always mention Prestige. Like, if I ever ask someone, you know, what Nolan films prestige okay, we, we just must be we just must be asking uh different people <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have more pretentious friends don't you know that kev oh uh, there yeah. we go there yeah. we go yeah. on that ladder of pretentiousness <laughs> they're all higher you know yeah exactly <laughs> All right, so that concludes part one of our two-part director special, taking a look at the work of Christopher Nolan. Be sure to join us for our next episode where we will conclude our retrospective look, and each of us will share our top three favorite Nolan films. Until then, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Five stars is the minimum rating you can give, so please rate, review, and let us know what you think. And if you have any questions, concerns, or if we got something wrong, feel free to email us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com.
But until our next episode, as always, we are Geekcentric and you can be too, which means you can also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash geekcentric. Follow us on Twitter at geekcentricyt and check us out on Instagram at wearegeekcentric. Also, for our Twitch lovers out there, you can go ahead and join Nate on his gaming journeys at twitch.tv slash nateplaysgames. So that's it for us. Be sure to join us next week where we will conclude our look at Christopher Nolan. But until then, as we say, love ya. Stay home safe, guys. Peace.